For decades in our cattle industry, making management decisions about the genetic direction of your herd was often a game of time, years in fact, and added to that really was an element of risk. However, the use of genomic testing has unveiled a whole new level of management for a rancher's ability to make solid and profitable decisions regarding their genetic investments. Testing your females will make a better, more effective bull buyer. Dr. Kent Anderson joins me today as we talk about the practical applications of using genomic testing on your cattle, whether you're running a purebred or a commercial cattle herd. Even though a producer may think that their calf crop is incredibly uniform, and they may very well be visually, Mm -hmm. almost always without exception, there's a lot of genetic variation across the traits that lead to net returns. At the end of the day, it all boils down to profitability. Tune in today as we talk about genomic testing on this episode of the Working Ranch Radio Show. Welcome you back here again to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. We're glad to have you here on our program today. And before we get started with anything else, I want to let you know that uh, if there is something that you hear on the show today that you missed, you want to go back and listen to it again, or maybe there's a previous episode that you want to go back and listen to, we're on a podcast site. Pretty much any major, minor podcast provider out there, you can go back and listen to it. If, If you're wondering, okay, what's a podcast? Well, it's pretty much just the recorded program that you can download right to your phone or to your tablet or listen to it on your computer. Either way, you can listen to it later on if you'd like to. And that's pretty much how it is. It's pretty simple to do. Uh, Like I said, pretty much any podcast provider out there from Pandora to Apple to Google to Spotify, Amazon. Boy, I'll tell you what, the list is quite long there. So it's an easy way, especially for, I know a lot of us in rural areas, cell coverage isn't always a continual thing. And it's it's the ability to listen to it when you're out and about maybe in an area maybe you're working on fence somewhere and you don't have a good radio signal or you don't have a good uh, cell signal well you can listen to a podcast that's kind of how that works so anyways today's episode 90 and we are glad to have you joining us here on our program we're going to be talking about genomics if you heard there in the intro this is a big topic in our industry and really it's something that has a lot of implications and and when i grab onto a topic if you've listened at any point in time to all of our shows, you know that I'm very, very big on profitability and making decisions that are profitable. And so I, I really believe there's some practicality in genomic testing uh, for, for folks. And again, this is not a, a purebred or a registered deal. This is also for commercial producers as well. So you're going to hear about genomic testing today as Dr. Kent Anderson, he's the Director of Global Beef Technical Services for Zoetis, is my guest here today. Of course, at the end of our program, meteorologist Don Day will be joining us as we take a look at our long-term weather. Right now, let's thank our sponsors of the Working Ranch Radio Show, Biozyme. You know, it's weaning time, so for protection and recovery, think Vita Charge by Biozyme. For more information, go to their website at vitafirm.com forward slash Vita dash charge. And Zoetis, visit Inherit 
www.tsuprogress.com to request a call with a rep and ask about free TSUs to get you started. Also speaking of Zoetis, it's the little things that could derail progress, but your herd can be covered. Visit getlessparasites.com for solutions from Zoetis. And the American Simmental Association, from maternal traits to terminal traits, the genetic merit of Simmental Genetics, it's providing some increased profitability to us, the ranchers. Sim Genetics, profit through science. Find out more at Simmental.org. And Zenpro Perfusion Drench, optimized performance from the start with Zenpro Perfusion Drench. Right now, let's check in with the captain, Tim O'Byrne. He is the publisher and editor of Working Ranch Magazine for this week's edition of Tim's Two Cents. Hey, Justin. Hey, everybody out there in Working Ranch Radio Land. Justin, you know that I take the middle of the road here being a good, astute editor that I am, and I don't take sides. I just kind of curiously watch what's going on and uh, report the news as I see it and what I think is important to everybody. And this is one of those deals here. I never did... uh, make a big deal out of the whole plant-based burger thing because, you know, I mean, I, I, I watched the meat case here in the last five years and it came on board pre-COVID, uh, gangbusters. I saw 36 inches of meat case, uh, space devoted to it. And over the last five years, I've seen that decrease to 18 inches. So I'm not seeing this major takeover of the plant-based meat, Sector, So I don't really consider it to be a big deal to us. Um, It's there. It's definitely uh, a numbers game. But here's a bit of news that just came in. This is a Reuters uh, news bite from October 3rd. Meat Packer JBS to close U.S. plant-based foods business. Brazilian Meat Packer JBS South America is closing its U.S. plant-based foods business Plantera Foods after about two years, the company said on Monday. The closure signals increasing troubles in the plant-based protein sector where U.S. sales are flattening. I don't need to say any more than that, guys. If you want to check out the rest of the story, just Google it like everybody else. Have a great week. Justin, back to you in the booth. All right. Thanks, Captain, for that. And, you know, as you were talking about that, the thing in my head was, I think for us in the beef industry, don't get caught up in that story and the fact of we can we can show that we've won that battle. That's not the point. That's not the point I don't think the Captain was getting at either. It's just saying, here's what's happening with it. And I think it proves more than anything that for us here in the beef industry, that we continue to just move forward, providing a good, safe, and healthy product to our consumers. And those consumers will find value in that because of what truly is way more natural than a plant-based meat product. We'll stay with us when we come back. We're going to have Dr. Kent Anderson joining us as we talk about genomics in our cattle herd. We'll be back on the Working Ranch Radio Show after this. Every year you pick your replacement heifers. Some become profitable cows. Others disappoint. How can you make more reliable selections? Genetic testing. Commercial cow-calf producers like you are using Inherit Select from Zoetis. You gain valuable predictions, including cow fertility, size and soundness, feed efficiency, growth and carcass merit, as well as easy-to-use economic indexes. 
This improves your selection, breeding, and marketing decisions. Request a call from InheritProgress.com and ask about free TSUs to get you started. And we welcome you back here to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. We thank you for joining us as we head now into our featured interview. We're going to be talking genomics. Yeah, it's a subject we're hearing more and more about. And we're going to be talking about its application to us here as ranchers in our industry. And joining us for our program today is Dr. Kent Anderson. He's the Director of Global Beef Technical Services for Zoetis. And first of all, Dr. Anderson, we thank you for joining us here today on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Well, Justin, it's a pleasure to be with you and and uh, an honor to be with your listeners as well. Well, Dr. Anderson, uh, to get started here, I think um, when we look at some of the subjects uh, about the technology that's available to us as ranchers in our industry to help in our production, in our, in our genetics, in our cattle herd, boy, I think you'd almost have to not be present on this planet to not have heard of the term genomics and and so today as we explore that um i i think there's going to be a lot of relevance to uh how it fits to any any rancher whether it's purebred commercial and so forth we're going to be talking about that but where initially did we start to see the use of genetic testing in our industry i would bet that most of your producers have bought a lot of bulls based on (laughs) epds and in recent years genomic enhanced epds Mm -hmm. And so I bet most of our listeners have already gotten a firsthand taste of the technology. Yeah, absolutely. And we're seeing it more and more. When we look at this, uh, it really allows us as producers, as a rancher myself, you know, I think about it, I'm thinking, man, uh, there's certain characteristics or certain traits that we really want to dial into. And so from a producer's standpoint, uh, what are some of the traits that producers can test for when it comes to genetic testing? Uh, Justin, now with the new technologies available to evaluate crossbred commercial replacement heifers, you can think of the traits as being the same set and in some cases even more traits than what historically have been available for seed stock producers and and the EPDs that they're used to basing their bull buying decisions on. So that's 15 or 20 traits that indicate both costs of production as well as revenues from production. And those are typically then summarized with economic indexes. So let's get into some of the specific traits that are out there. We can, as you said, there's a lot of, there's a, you know, quite a variety we can look at too. Uh, Let's talk about some of the specifics on that. Yeah, sure, sure, Justin. So for producers that keep back their replacement efforts, boy, I think there's a growing list of pretty comprehensive uh, maternal traits. And that spans the range from, predictions for cow fertility to calving ease to early growth as well as mature cow size and milk production and the cost thereof and then post weaning we um, have an abundance of growth information but an increasing amount of dry matter intake whereby we can get at genetic predictions for differences in feed efficiency feed to gain and then of course we've got the comprehensive set of carcass traits uh, to in at high genetic merit for grid premium. So increasingly, we're getting evaluations now that are quite comprehensive. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that you were talking about just a little bit ago was I think there's a, a mindset out there that we really saw this happening first in the purebred industry, first and foremost. But 
as it's moved along, it really is a product that's not just for purebred. In fact, it really, from a commercial standpoint, there's a lot of advantages here, especially if you're a crossbred situation. That's right. And I think for your listeners, you can think about how in seed stock, we've got a lot of pedigree, a lot of performance information, and we've had genetic evaluation for many traits for many years. The new technology is really bringing the same information to bear to cow-calf producers at the commercial level as what only seed stock producers have had access to historically. Mm-hmm. In other interviews that I've had with, with folks, just in general in ranching, we talk about our, our beef herds from a rancher's perspective. One of the biggest concerns to profitability in a ranch is the longevity. And of course, there's a lot of different factors that go into longevity. And you were talking a moment ago about fertility and, and th- that being one of those such cases. But I think when we look at longevity being one of the biggest factors in profitability in a cow-calf set, it's got to be beneficial to that element as well. Yeah, that's right, Justin. Historically, if your listeners are like I was growing up on a cow-calf operation, we mainly select our replacement heifers visually based on appearance, Mm -hmm. having the look of making a good cow. But now with the new technologies, both at the seed stock bull level, one can put selection pressure on stayability or longevity, as well as appropriate cow size and milk match to the environment. And and then our commercial applications for testing and doing genetic evaluation of commercial females includes the same. We have an EPD, for example, for cow fertility that uh, predicts genetic differences in the number of calves that a cow will produce between the second and the eighth calf at nine years of age. So by buying the right bulls that uh, produce daughters with um, stability and then within those daughters, selecting those that have the highest fertility, I really believe that there's powerful tools at our disposal these days to make long-lived cows. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. One of the things you just mentioned there was buying bulls, uh, and, and you talked about it earlier as well, because as ranchers, it's something, you know, that's the that's the side of the genetic or of our herd element that we got to be looking at. And one of the things that I found interesting about what, what I guess drew me in as a rancher myself about this is being able to get some information on your cow herd, especially for a lot of us, we don't necessarily have the, uh, the genomic knowledge or understanding of what our cattle are. Uh, maybe if you're a purebred or you've you've kind of been a closed herd, you might have a pretty good idea. But if you don't, getting that basis of what your cow herd is, so then when you go to the process of buying bulls, you can match that up to get head the direction you want to go. Yeah, I think that's right, Justin. As we work with commercial cow-calf producers that are testing replacements, and especially after they get a few years of testing their replacement candidates under their belt, they end up having an in-depth knowledge of the strengths and the weaknesses of their cow herd. And I really think that synergizes so nicely then with their bull buying based on genomic enhanced EPDs, because they can then buy bulls that accentuate the strengths of their cows and correct any weaknesses. So if they know they aren't quite as strong in the post-wean and carcass side of things, 
they can they can slant their bull buying a little more in that direction or vice versa. Maybe they've been buying bulls with a lot of growth and carcass merit, but their cow size and other things may not be as high as they like. And so testing your females will make a better, more effective bull buyer. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've dealt with a lot of, of customers out there, producers out there. From your firsthand knowledge, what are you seeing? I mean, what, what's the results that you're seeing out there from ranchers that have done this? Well, it's quite variable. Um, one really interesting observation is we test females in any given herd. Our genetic predictions really do capture a lot of variation. So even though a producer may think that their calf crop is incredibly uniform, and they may very well be visually, mm -hmm. almost always without exception, there's a lot of genetic variation across the traits that lead to net returns. And, and so as, as one thing we always see is we always see variation and we shouldn't be surprised by that. Yeah. Every sperm is different. Every egg is different. There's a billion different unique opportunities with every mating. And, and so it's a humbling business. And luckily these tools have come along to help us sort out the superior from the inferior. Yeah. Well, I, I can imagine you know, as a rancher, how how that would maybe be a little startling to get some of that information back. I, I think for a lot of us, there's probably not a lot of folks that really follow their cattle all the way through. I mean, I know there's a good share of folks that, that maybe retain ownership or, or get to know what the data is on the rail when those cattle are, are processed. But um, beyond that, up until now with some of this genomics, that's really been the only way. So, you know, like you were saying, the information's got to be maybe a little bit startling to some folks. Well, that's one of the things I do really like about the new technologies. They're great benchmarking tools. So in one of the tests called Inherit that we have for cow-calf producers, we, um, we publish, we report percentile ranks that are associated with the 20 or so traits, as well as with the three different indexes. And those ranks compare animals against about 40,000 other commercial animals that are in the weekly evaluation. So it's a neat tool to get a gauge on where you're sitting across those individual traits and groups of traits that define costs and revenues from the different segments of production. Mm -hmm. You bet. Dr. Ken Anderson is my guest today. And Dr. Anderson, when we come back, I want to talk more about the test and kind of the information that comes out of that and what that looks like, because that's going to be the information that, that we see as ranchers and then how we apply that into our own ranching operations to make those adjustments in our own cow herds. We're going to continue, folks, when we come back. Dr. Ken Anderson, Director of Global Beef Technical Services with Zoetis, is joining me today. We're talking about the applications of genomic mix in your in your cow calf herd and that's uh, definitely relevant to a lot of us here in the cattle industry we're going to talk more about it when we come back on the working ranch radio show It's weaning time, one of the biggest days of the year for you and the most stressful for your calves. Ensure a smooth transition with the VitaCharge Weaning Program. This two-step program with the AmmaFirm Advantage gives calves the nutritional boost they need to get through the first weeks of weaning, accelerate appetite, increase weight gain, and improve health. It's weaning time. Get them ready with VitaCharge. For more information, visit VitaFirm.com 
forward slash Vita dash charge. And we welcome you back here to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. My guest today is Dr. Kent Anderson, Director of Global Beef Technical Services for Zoetis. We're talking about genomic applications for us here in the cattle industry. And uh, we were talking about in the first segment just some of the some of the practical elements that uh, for us as ranchers, this technology is evolving and allowing us to do uh, whether you're of course it was for a lot of times we heard more in the purebred or the seed stock industry using it first now it's becoming very very applicable for those of us in the commercial side of the industry as well dr anderson just before the break we were talking about the test and and so for me as a rancher i'm thinking okay what does this test look like Justin, I primarily work with two different tests applicable to commercial replacement heifers. And one of them is called GeneMax Advantage. We um, work with our partners at the American Angus Association and AGI. And that's for heifers that are three quarter and higher black Angus breed composition. And then the other test that I work with here at Zoetis is called Inherit Select. That's for commercial crossbred replacement heifers that are, and it's targeted to eight different breeds and breed crosses. So Angus, Red Angus, Hereford, South Devon on the British side, and then the major continentals of Semitol, Gelfi, Limousin, and Charolais. And so if you have crosses of any of those breeds, then Inherit Select would be applicable. Mm -hmm. So let's get into the specifics of the testing on this. And I think there's probably some differences in terms of how many cattle you test in your herd. Is it something, you know, is it something that you recommend and say, okay, we test every cow? Or is it, is it something where we pick a set number? What, I mean, what are you seeing out there? Justin, we did quite a bit of modeling to help our customers know the optimum proportion of their heifer crop to test. And based on that value proposition modeling, and depending on whether the producer is increasing their cow herd size, maintaining or decreasing, or maybe they've already preg checked and they know how many cows they need to replace, our general advisement is to test roughly three-fourths to seven-eighths of the earliest born heifers that also meet your visual criteria. And then um, roughly test two to keep one. So we want to test a broad enough set of the females to make sure none of the really genetic superior ones go undiscovered. But at the same time, it's not necessarily a good investment to test the ones that we wouldn't keep if they were particularly late born or didn't meet some cowboy common sense criteria on on visual appraisal. Yeah. Uh, Generally, when that is the case and we can test three quarters of seven eighths test two keep one our modeling would say there's about a three to as much as a four to four and a half to one return on investment and that's where we think the producer gets the most return from use of the technology Mm -hmm. we keep talking a little bit about replacement heifers but beyond that uh maybe we haven't jumped in at the replacement heifer heifer uh, level just yet because of just getting started in this this doesn't have to just be for replacement heifers i mean we can talk about that but this concept could also be applied to older cattle that is correct the selection decision typically takes place mm-hmm. from the pool of replacements but there's a lot of other decisions that the technology can inform and particularly and we touched on it already the mating decision or the bull buying decision and in that case, 
yeah, understanding of uh, the genetic merit from a broader uh, composition of your cow herd can be informative, you bet. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things that I was thinking about, um, we kept some heifers back this last year. We're commercial operations, so we don't have any purebred, to, uh, really anything out there. And one of the things I was thinking about in this, as I was looking at these heifers, I'm thinking, okay, definitely as you were talking about, you're probably going to want to keep some of, some of those older heifers, the ones that were in the first cycle because their moms were bred in the first cycle. There's some relevance to that. But beyond that, that's about all I know. <laughs> you know, yeah, and, that's right. and that's so, right. um, you know, to me, there's like, uh, you know, I need to know more about these. Well, I think the analogy in the ranching world would be when we buy a new pickup, we like to look under the hood, not just at the paint color and what the visual appearance is. And similarly, when we're evaluating replacement heifers, there's a lot of things in the unseen world, such as fertility or we even have predictions for teat and udder quality and mature cow size and marbling. And those things just can't be evaluated through the eyeball. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I think another thing, too, that I, we talked about buying bulls. But what about getting rid of some bulls that might be throwing some unprofitable genetics that you don't want? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because a feature of both the GMAX Advantage and Inherit tests include sire parent determination so you know which of your bulls are producing which of your heifers incidentally you also know which bulls are producing more heifers versus fewer and that can be pretty insightful as to then which bulls might get replaced sooner rather than later Mm -hmm. I, i can't help but think for the seed stock industry that it has really more than anything the genomic testing and tool that's available to our industry has really forced some transparency in our seed stock business of course that would include those that are selling bulls and or registered purebred females well that's a good question (laughs) i i imagine there might be a few of them that are maybe a little insecure about (laughs) it but i really don't think they should be as we work both with seed stock producers as well as do custom genetic evaluations for seed stock producers and then we turn around and bridge the gap and do the same for commercial and even though there's there's terrific cattle in our commercial herds generally there's a lag there between where they are at genetically and in regard to the merit of their animals versus the seed stock and i would i would offer that if the seed stock producer is on top of their game and doing their job, they don't have anything to worry about. And really, to the contrary, I think this would actually make their life easier in some ways, because rather than shooting from the hip when a cow-calf producer asks about which bulls to buy, they would be armed with a lot more information and would be able to much more specifically steer them to the exact bulls that would be complimentary. Mm-hmm. So I don't think they ought to be insecure about it at all. I I would hope they'd embrace it because yeah. I think it makes us all better. Yeah, well, and, and for any purebred or, or bull uh, breeders out there, please don't take those comments uh, offensively as if I don't trust the, the seed stock industry because I, I, I do, actually. I We have for years, and, and there's a lot of good producers out there. But I but I think you're right in the, the fact that it does spell it out just very, very clearly of here's what we have. One of the things, and, and we, we touched on it just a little bit ago, but I, I feel like 
what the genomic technology is doing for our cattle industry is really allowing producers to shape a herd that fits their environment. Yeah, I like that. Um, because as you know, being in northern Wyoming there, your environment's a lot different than, say, central Nebraska or the southeast part of the country. And that is one of the things I really like about these new commercial tools. We can we can use the predictions for traits such as fertility, but also mature cow size and milk. Typically, our tougher country where feed might be more expensive isn't going to be able to support a cow that's quite as big or milky. And so we can we can custom design the genetics according to what's needed for a given region. As well, Justin, I might mention that the inherit select tool also includes genomic predictions for breed composition. Mm-hmm. And we also know that there's benefits to maternal heterosis. And by virtue of knowing the breed makeup of your females, you might be able to manage uh, breed composition more specifically to exploit that as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's a good point. I, I hadn't thought about that that perspective because if you have been a commercial operation and and you have been buying commercial cows, you really don't you really don't know what you have and you could be thinking you're buying this set of bulls for to 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 get the advantage of of heterosis when in reality you're not yeah that's right and and if you do have the luxury of going to multiple breeding pastures at bull turnout time or if you do ai yeah you can even get a little more precise about it whereby you can you can turn bulls out of breed composition, either straight bred or hybrid, that then match the cows to which they're exposed. Mm-hmm. To then result in a calf crop that's more uniform in breed composition if you're in a crossbreeding program. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense there. A uh, lot of economical sense to that as well. Dr. Ken Anderson, he's the Director of Global Beef Technical Services for Zoetis. Today we are talking about the technology of genomics and how that applies to us as ranchers, not just for the purebred or the registered outfits anymore. As we've talked about here on our show and some other uh, shows that we've had, we've talked about genomics a little bit, and it is becoming a tool just as many other tools that are out there for those of us in the commercial cow-calf sector of our ranching industry. Well, stay with us. When we come back, we're going to talk about how genomics is applicable to the feeder cattle side of the business when we come back on the Working Ranch Radio Show. It's a competitive calf market, and buyers want calves that will perform, period. And a proven solution is Simmental. In fact, data from the Tri-County Steer Carcass Fertility from 2002 through 2018 on nearly 60,000 head of calves revealed that Simmental sired calves represented the highest carcass-valued sire group over English and other continental breed groups. And the sire group that was the second highest carcass value was Simangus sire. So... The proof's right there. For low-risk, high-potential calves with earning potential, be confident that Sim Genetics will give you more per head, period. Stand strong, Simmental. 
Control comes when you focus on the little things, from daily chores to parasite management, because any little thing could derail progress. But your herd can be covered. Visit GetLessParasites.com for solutions from Zoetis. And we welcome you back here to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. My guest today, Dr. Kent Anderson, Director of Global Beef Technical Services for Zoetis. We're talking about the technology of genomics here in our cattle industry, as we've talked about uh, the practicality of its use here in the previous segments. Uh, Dr. Anderson, we've been really heavy in our conversation so far today talking about replacement cattle and our cattle herd just in general. But beyond that, beyond the gate of our ranch there is some applicability to this when it comes to those cattle that are going to be uh, processed down the road and getting that information on these feeder cattle that's right justin so if you think about it if you test the better part of your heifer crop using tools like inherit select or gene max advantage the trait predictions for post weaning growth for dry matter intake for feed to gain and for carcass weight, ribeye, fat, and marbling, uh, those genetic predictions and benchmarks in the heifers are going to be reflected then in the steer mates. And so in the first case, if it's just the average of the group you're interested in, it could open up opportunities for you to participate in different feeder cattle marketing programs and put marketing legs under the cattle by virtue of the documented merit for feedlot and carcass that are that are there. And then the second case is beyond that, increasingly now we're starting to test feeder cattle using what we call our blockyard enrollment and inherit optimize applications. And that gives direct predictions for all those feedlot and carcass traits to the feeder cattle themselves and opens up a whole new world of both price discovery as well as sorting and management for the desired endpoints. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things, as you were talking about this, of, of having that information for these cattle to the, as they head to the next step in their lives, when we think about agriculture, the things that always make us nervous are the unknowns, whether it's weather, whether it's the markets, and there's some things that we just don't have that ability to control, such as weather and markets. But when it comes to this particular situation, and when we sell our calves, one of the things, and I remember this in a previous conversation about genomics is that we can share with that buyer here's what I have and it gives that buyer a guarantee of what they're buying is going to perform as what we see on the genomic tests yes I feel like historically no matter how good a bulls we buy come time to sell the feeder cattle we're largely price takers we, mm-hmm. we take whatever we can get and whatever the market assesses But I do think this technology allows us to position, say, different sets of calves to be more price makers, whereby if if we can say, hey, benchmarked against X tens of thousands other feeder cattle that have been tested, these rank in the top quartile for a feedlot and carcass index and for marbling and ribeye, carcass weight, boy, that's really compelling. Yeah risk management information for the buyer 
or at least they know they're not taking genetic risk. They still have the weather and the other unknowns, yeah, but yeah. take some of the genetic risk out of it for the buyer and the seller. Well, and, and that's what I think is so fascinating about this technology and the conversations that I've had with other folks about genomics is that it is it is a tool in our toolbox as ranchers to where we really, I think, the advantage is, is taking some risk out of the industry. No, that's right. Gosh, and with astronomical costs these days of feed mm-hmm. and interest and scarce labor and machinery and land you name it the margins get squeezed so thin and so if you can use some of these tools to propagate animals and help you save costs or or efficiently turn your output your your money outlay into more calves that either weigh more or more uh efficient uh, reproductively as well as efficient in converting feed to carcass weight and gain. It, it really all is about production efficiency and trying to exploit the technology to, to really enhance that. Mm-hmm. Dr. Anderson, as we've talked about this, we've talked quite a bit about all of this information that we're pulling out this and and the way we can make some decisions from this information. And we've got a lot of different traits that can be looked at. And overall, I think if, if you're somebody that has never done this, it probably sounds a little complicated. We, um, really are high on encouraging cow-calf producers to use the economic indexes. And so if you're keeping replacements or if you're maintaining ownership or not, there's an index that's applicable to your situation. And really what the indexes do is they rank animals for combined genetic merit across all these traits, weighted according to the economic impact they have on the costs and the revenues, such that for the most part, you can look at the one number of the index that is most applicable to you sort the cattle highest to lowest, and and it's still pretty simple to use. Mm -hmm. Beyond that, we then typically work with ranchers to find any animals that might be troublemakers, and that might be for disposition or might be for teat and utter quality or any one of a number of other traits. might be for really high birth weight, and uh, we then eliminate those troublemakers. So that one-two punch of, just ranking them by the appropriate index and then eliminating any headaches Mm -hmm. really does make a very, it's it's a somewhat intimidating and, and complex technology, but I think it's easy to use because of indexes. Yeah. Uh, Quick question here on a, on a side note, you don't have one for fence crawlers, do you? Any genomics for fence crawlers? (laughs) (laughs) Not yet, but um, if you can collect the data for us, we'll take a stab at it. Maybe, yeah, maybe there's something going back there, you know, but but I, not to make light of, of the, what you were just saying about, it sounds complicated, but I think the, the, one of the things that I feel is that you can you can use this information and it can be you can make it as complex as you want to do it as you become more and more uh, savvy to it, or you can use it very basic as you were saying to get started. Yeah, my colleagues and I really like working with ranchers just to walk them through the results and 
learn about uh, what they perceive as the strengths as well as pain points they have and then help them interpret as well as then arrive at a keep cold set of decisions as well as mating decisions. So we, we view that as part of the service of testing. Mm-hmm. When you talk about meeting with customers, in your experience of, since doing this, what has been the maybe one of the biggest success stories that you've seen in it? Well, I've got a great customer in your state of Wyoming that adopted the technology back in 2015. So going on the seventh year now, and annually we review the results. We actually summarize the results by the sires that get uh, determined for the different heifers. And we've had a long-term plan in place whereby we want to make improvements both maternally as well as to the end product. And I would argue that uh, that operation has made one of the most premier set of Angus-based cows I know of in the industry. And so it's, it's that kind of thing that's really fun and rewarding to see transpire as people really use the technology to evaluate both the heifers and then use that to AI and to turn out by and turn out the best bulls. Mm-hmm. What's a situation that you've had that uh, as you come out of it uh, would provide some education or experience say, okay, if we do this again, this is the direction we need to go with somebody on it. Maybe a situation that's happened that you guys have said, okay, this is something we learned from this particular situation. Yeah, I can, I can point to a number of examples. Um, uh, given the past history, there'd be a lot of cow herds that I work with that really are strong in the post-meeting growth and carcass traits, but for a variety of reasons, maybe have seen their cows get a little big and not as well matched to their environment as they would like, and maybe you've seen uh, fertility slip. In other words, the maternal complex of traits may be headed uh, in a different direction than the post-weaning carcass. And I think that's pretty common that we've, we've seen. And these technologies can help to identify that and pinpoint the traits where we need to turn the trend around. And then we can do so two ways, by picking the more suitable heifers and then also by augmenting the bull purchase decisions over time. Mm-hmm. You know, my last question before I give you some final comments, my last question would be this, Dr. Anderson, too, is what we're talking about here today is not something to just add one more input cost to your operation. It's a tool to increase productivity, efficiency, and profitability at the end of the day. Yeah, that's right. Um, The cost of the test is that I work with is $25 per head, $25 per head. For that $25, you get 20 or so trait predictions, three indexes, genomic breed composition, sire parentage determination, and then maybe a third party that can look at the data, talk through it with you, and arrive at some decisions. But I do think it's more of an investment than a cost. Um, We really think there's probably a four-to-one return on that investment. If you amortize that over five or six years of that cow's lifetime, it's of high cost to a producer to invest in keeping and developing and breeding a heifer if she then drops out after the first, second, or third calf. Yeah, absolutely. And so this can help to mitigate that and, and increase the odds that she stick around longer 
and annually produce a valuable calf. Yeah, absolutely. That and you nailed it on the head. We want we're we're really targeting for cattle that can last, and, and I, that's a good point there that you had there at the end. Well, Doctor Anderson, uh, just some final comments from you before we head out here today. And maybe first of all, one of the things we didn't talk about was literally taking the samples, uh, and maybe address that as well as how folks go about getting more information if they're interested in this genomic testing on their cattle herds. We provide what's called the AllFlex Tissue Sampling Unit. And it takes about the same amount of time to use that TSU to punch a DNA sample out of the ear of the animal when they're being processed as would it take to tag an animal. We generally recommend you do that 30 or so days before results are wanted to make decisions. But it's really easy and it's pretty foolproof. And once you do one or two of them, Tissue sample collection is really uh, mm-hmm. quite straightforward. Okay. The other thing that I would remind your listeners about is um, we can't really get into the nitty-gritty details of the pro- products today, but if they're interested in more information, a website called Inherit Progress, all one word, inheritprogress.com, or genemaxangus.com, all one word, genemaxangus.com, provide detailed information about both of these opportunities. You bet. Well, Dr. Anderson, uh, I thank you for taking the time to join us here today on the program. And it is a, a technology that uh, has a lot of lot of functionality to our ranching, our, our cattle industry. Thank you, Justin. It's a pleasure to have been with you and your listeners today. Dr. Ken Anderson has been our guest today, Director of Global Beef Technical Services with Zoetis, as we're talking about the practical applications of genomic testing in our cattle herd. You know, not just something for the purebred or the registered cow outfits anymore. It's something that's applicable to those of us in the commercial side of the ranching world as well. A couple websites that uh, Dr. Anderson shared with us. I'm going to pass those all along again. That's inheritprogress.com. Inherit is spelled I-N-H-E-R-I-T, progress.com or also genemaxangus.com. Those were the two websites. If you'd like more information on genetic testing in your cow herd, you can head there. Also put those in a link in our podcast description as well. Well, stay with us. Meteorologist Don Day joins us coming up next as we take a look at our long-term weather. We'll be back on the Working Ranch Radio Show after this. Aid stressed cattle during weaning, shipping, receiving, and vaccination by delivering a multi-day supply of essential minerals and nutrients. With Zinpro Profusion Drench, you can keep receiving calves performing and achieve a 16 to 1 return on investment with 20% reduced respiratory loss. Optimize performance from the start with Zinpro Profusion Drench. And we welcome you back here to the Working Ranch Radio Show. Justin Mills with you along with us as he is always. Uh, this time of our program is meteorologist Don Day as we take a look at our long-term weather. And Don, before we get into uh, looking at our weather and what's coming down uh, for the next couple of weeks or so, I got to tell you, I find, I got signed up. I have my Coco Raz account. I think we talked about it before and I got my weather rain gauge and I've been doing measurements for about the last 14 days. That's wonderful. Yes, um, Coco Rise is a volunteer network to help measure precipitation all across the country and really across the world, especially in rural areas. Getting accurate measures, measurements of rain and snowfall is really, really important, especially 
in the last few years when we've been going through these drought periods to really have a good assessment. So congratulations <laughs> on becoming a volunteer. Yeah. And yeah. I, I hope more folks listening will. I did hear from the folks that run Coco, um, Coco Ross, and they said they've gotten a lot more signups mm -hmm. in the last several weeks. So we're obviously uh, getting some more volunteers out there. Well, I, back and not to reiterate what we'd already talked about, but I think it really when when we're in a dry situation, much like the Southern Plains is this year, and we were the last previous year, two years previous to that, then you really start to take into account like, oh man, why why aren't they keeping up track with? We're, we're in way severe, more severe drought than what they're showing on the map, and so in those times we're really paying attention. Like, man, somebody needs to do something about this. But then when we get rain. We have a tendency to just kind of rest by the side. And again, the significance is this is helps with some of this drought data that are, is needed in order to, you know, signify that this area is in D1, D2, 3, or 4. Exactly. And the thing is, is everybody knows this or will observe it soon. Precipitation doesn't fall evenly. There's quite a bit of difference from one mile to two miles, from one mountain to the next. And so having rain gauges in places that aren't in cities um, really, really is extremely helpful. And a lot of folks might say, well, don't we have satellites and don't we have radar that can sense all these things? The answer is no, not really. Um, or if we do, those satellite and radar resources are being used for other things other than measuring precipitation. Mm -hmm. You bet. Well, and it's quite simple to do this. Uh, there's even an app that you can load on your phone or your tablet or go to a website to enter in your data every morning. It literally takes me like five seconds to do it. So really simple. All right. Let's get into our long-term weather. And it looks like uh, old man winter's kind of knocking on the door here for the next week or so. Certainly is looking like we're going to start to see some shots of colder air. We saw a little bit of a cold shot come in uh, late this past week into the Dakotas and some of the northern plains. But we see a pattern evolving as we get into the next, let's say, 7 to 14 days, where a lot of the cold air that's been in the northern hemisphere has been on the other side of the globe. It's been over in parts of Asia, parts of Eastern Europe, Siberia. Some of that cold air now is migrating onto this side of the hemisphere. And so especially folks in the upper Midwest, the northern plains and parts of the northern Rockies are going to see some colder weather. A lot of folks haven't had their last, uh, rather their first hard frost or freeze yet. It's been a very mild uh, fall mm -hmm. so far, but we do see that coming to an end. You bet. So it's just a fair warning, maybe for those of you that haven't seen it, get your fire trucks and your and your sprinklers uh, blowed out and, and ready to go here. So uh, when we look at this with this first cold blast coming in, is it going to stay? Are we going to see, you know, a week of this, a couple of weeks of this, or is it going to be pretty short? Well, the good thing about October cold shots is we usually have those intervals between the cold shots where the weather actually is nice. A lot of times uh, folks will call it Indian summer to where you have that warm, dry period after the first hard frost and freeze. In fact, technically, you have to have a hard freeze first before you can have that Indian summer. So we will see rebounding temperatures. We won't see the cold hold. It's hard to do that in October. Mm -hmm. That's something that late November, December, we start to see those cold snaps lasting longer. Mm -hmm. Well, and if I don't, uh, we've talked a little bit about fog forecasting and I, not to kind of beat up a, a dead horse here on the deal, but just for our area here, we've seen some pretty significant fog 
consistently off and on, which to me is indicating the end of December and January, we could have some weather. And is that kind of correlating to what you're seeing from a long-term standpoint across the country? Well, over the past week, Justin, we did get the new uh, monthly updates on the long-range computer modeling, uh, not not only the U.S. modeling, but it comes out of Canada and the European Center. And the European Center data just came out, and it is definitely showing what we've been suspecting, which is a tendency towards the middle part of December into January and February. It does look like the pattern could develop that could mean a lot of cold. Mm-hmm. That's something that we've been concerned about. Uh, we've seen in analog years, and the latest long-range modeling is at least hinting at that still. All right. Well, in a couple of weeks, you and I will uh, have an entire show on our long-term weather forecast for this winter and into the spring of 2023. We can get into more of that. But again, thanks for joining us here today with a look at our long-term weather. Good talking to you. And again, that was meteorologist Don Day with a look at our long-term weather. His website can be found at dayweather.com. Some good information on that website. Also, there is a link to his daily video podcast that he kicks out every Monday through Friday morning. Well, stay with us. When we come back, we're going to give you an idea of what's going to be on tap for next week's edition of the Working Ranch Radio Show. We'll be back after this. Do you have a young child, grandchild, niece, or nephew that loves the weather and wants to learn more? Day Weather has produced a children's weather journal full of weather facts, fun weather experiments, coloring pages, and pages to record weather observations for every season of the year. The weather journal is for ages 3 to 7 and designed to be fun and educational. The interactive weather projects are fun for the whole family to take part in. For only $10, the Day Weather Weather Journal is a great gift idea for any occasion. Click on our Amazon link to order at dayweather.com. Coming up on next week's episode of the Working Ranch Radio Show, we're headed to Florida as Jim Hanley, Executive Vice President of the Florida Cattlemen's Association, joins us. We're going to be talking about everything from the effects and the cleanup of Hurricane Ian and how that's affecting the beef in the cattle industry there in Florida. Plus, just in general, we'll get an in-depth look of what the beef industry looks like in that great state. Be sure to tune in. Well, the Working Ranch Radio Show is a production of Working Ranch Magazine, branded number one by a America's Ranchers. You can start your subscription today simply by going to workingranchmag.com. If you'd like to get a hold of me, my email address is justin.workingranch at gmail.com. Thanks again for joining us. We'll be right here at same time, same place next week. I'm your host, Justin Mills, and until next time, keep your chin down and your mind in the middle. So long. So long.